We are talking pet chat. Now, a big welcome to Daniel Carrington and Julie Tolliday. So lovely to have you both in and a really interesting topic today. Charlie, it's always great to have Julie in the studio. She's been Thank a regular you. for many years and she's an expert when it comes to doggy behaviour, reading doggy body language, all that kind of stuff, aren't you? Thank you. Oh, yes. That's a good intro, isn't it? You yeah. owe me one. You owe me one. Oh, okay. <laughs> I feel like I should block my ears here. What's going on? Look, we, we want to talk about socialising dogs. Now... What does that mean? In the really broad sense, it means getting dogs used to things in our world, in our human world. They're not humans, even though some people think they are, but it's getting them bomb-proof to things that could crop up in their lives. So it's not just to dogs, it's to human beings, it's to strange things, sights, sounds. So just getting them used to stuff, yeah. Yeah, I guess that's a good point because some people say, oh, you know, um, dogs have lived with humans for hundreds of years but I guess they've been wild for thousands of years. <laughs> That's exactly right. And we we live in a, a fairly densely populated area here and they've got to get used to all, all sorts of stuff there. So when would be the right time to start to socialise our dogs? Well, really, if you call socialising experiencing new things, then really in the hands of the breeders, they should be doing stuff. Now, I don't mean taking the dogs out for high tea. I mean, even when those puppies are really little and you'd know about this, exposing them them to different temperatures, turning them. Do you turn your puppies and put them on different, um, you know, warm and cold and get them used to being handled? That's socialisation. And then, of course, you know, we really recommend a puppy school because the dogs get exposed in a controlled group to other puppies, but also sights and sounds and handling. So the dog learns to accept this stuff. Yeah, I'm familiar with what you talk about. And and as a breeder of Waimaranas, we have the puppies for eight weeks before they go to new homes. And I do know it's very important handling the yes. dogs, being with people, being with kids, being with adults. Absolutely. But noises, TV noise. Yep. Uh, you know, vacuum cleaners. Vacuum cleaner noise. Lawn mowers. All that kind of stuff. Mm. Yeah. Yep. And it, it is important. Yes. Yeah. And you actually learn a lot about the character of the dog when you do start Absolutely. testing out with all those kind of yeah. noises. What worries some? What doesn't worry some? And then it's early enough to put in place some strategies that are going to help that dog as it goes through its puppyhood and adolescence. What about uh, the first time we take our dogs to the park, uh, socialising in parks with other dogs? How does that work? What's the best way to do that? Well, look, there are some people, some very, very um, good names in dog behaviour who say don't take them to dog parks. Mm -hmm. So some conferences that I go to, they say I just wouldn't because you can't actually – and I'm I'm not saying don't do it, but you need to know what you're doing there. The dog needs a rock-solid recall to you under all circumstances. Now, that can be very hard if they're sniffing a butt or, you know, found an extra, you know, (laughs) no, a dog butt, a dog butt, um, or, you know, a McDonald's wrapper or something. But you've got to be able to call them back because not everybody in the dog park knows what they're doing with their dogs. Some people are cowboys, dare I say. Some people say really outrageous things like, oh, let the dog sort it out. And the last thing you want is your dog to have a bad experience in a dog park because quite often then we've got to come in and mop up the damage afterwards. That's a good point you make because I have spoken to owners who've got dogs who they have felt after a certain altercation or experience with another dog that wasn't on a leash 
It's really wrecked that dog. Yeah, and for some dogs, they don't like it. So just like there's introverted human beings, some dogs don't want to have a big party. Mm. There was an article in a newspaper recently, but I don't know if it was one of ours, and it talked about dog parks being like just a mosh pit for dogs and that really dogs only play in twos. Mm. You seldom see three dogs having a little play together. It's two dogs. Mm. So then if you put 15 dogs... That could be outrageous for some, particularly those ones who only want to hang out with a couple of friendly dogs. What about we have a situation where someone's walking their dog on a leash and that they want to bring their dog over to your dog for it to say hello? And, and you know, what's the situation there? What's the correct etiquette? Protocol, yeah. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> because everybody just wants to do it. And the most common thing, because they feel I'm out with my dog and you're out with all, my, your dog, and we both really love dogs, and let's just let our dogs have a good time on the leash. Dogs can't play on a leash. It's not a, it's not a play tool. So we want the dogs to actually be able to settle themselves before they meet. A lot of humans will not accept that. They go, oh, look, he's always like this, but as soon as he gets in to say hello, he's going to be fine. Well, you take that mad energy into some dogs, you're going to scare that other dog. But you say if that's your mantra for the dog's life, for the next 15 years, your dog is going to scream and run up on its back legs whenever it sees another dog. So the protocol is... Hi, would you like to say hello? Let's get our dogs to sit first. If that dog can't even sit two metres away from another dog, then it shouldn't go in to say hello. So they sit, they wait. The humans say, let's go three seconds. So we count seconds like wow. this. Yeah. Good dog one, good dog two, good dog three. That's time enough to sniff a butt, lick around a mouth, Maybe check if the other person's got some treats and then you call them away. Well, that's what I do when I meet anyone, so yep, it makes, but... <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> but, but three seconds. Yeah. <laughs> it's a whole new underworld, though. Like Most people don't know this, Julie. Exactly I know right. I walk my dog often and, um, you know, when I'm walking, there are other dogs and if, you know, we're chatting, then they often come together. Touch wood, we've had no issues. They usually have a sniff and that's it. But yep. a lot of people, I mean, I didn't certainly know that that's what you meant to do. I, it was sort of more instinct. You sort of look at the dogs and if they're keen to say yes. hello to each other, yes, we've let them. So that's when you get these dogs that are crying to be let to each other and it's too mad. It's mm. too in your face. Okay. And you think about by the, times the, the time the dog's rotated twice, your leashes are caught up and then if it is a dog that sort of goes, I've had enough, I've had enough. The other thing is the dog can't use its natural body language when you've got it on a piece of string. So they can't do the full turn away or turn their butt right away because you've got them on a bit of string going, say hello to Fluffy. And he doesn't want to say hello to Fluffy sometimes. What about, just one last thing, more and more uh, people are now feeling sorry for their dogs being left at home alone. So they put them into daycare for dogs. For dogs. Um, <laughs> you've, you've known about that, haven't you, Charlie? Well, I'm yeah, just yeah. laughing, thinking, gosh, I can't even afford my son to go to daycare, <laughs> let alone my dog. Exactly. So um, what's the go with uh, with putting your dog in daycare? What should we be aware of? Is it a good thing? Is it not so good thing? Really, some guidelines are um, go to the facility and ask to see where the dogs are playing and have a look for yourself. Just say, can I sit and watch for a while? If they won't let you, don't send your dog there. Check out the ratio of uh, supervising humans to dogs. There are some facilities that put 30 dogs in the one enclosure with one 
ill-experienced person. Ask the qualifications of the person that's supervising them. I've heard of a facility where if they're a little bit doubtful about some dogs, they put a muzzle on them. Mm -hmm. Imagine how frustrated the muzzled dog's going to feel that it can't use its own body language to communicate in the group. Mm. Uh, There shouldn't be any injuries coming out of that facility, so I think you need to ask them outright. Um, Do you have many trips to the vet? Uh, and I do know that there's a really lovely article that I sometimes give to people and the woman there says that one thing to look at is if your dog comes home from daycare absolutely exhausted, it's not necessarily it's a good sign at all. Mm. Sometimes that dog's been watching its back for six hours because it doesn't like being in with all those other dogs. Mm. So you really need to check out the ratios of dogs to humans, the qualifications of those who are minding. Rest periods, they shouldn't be out there all the time just running around like loonies. I'm actually surprised when you say like 30 dogs in one enclosure. Like, oh, I have a number of Waimaranas, but even uh, as there are a family of dogs, but even I'm careful with how many I would put yes. together. Yes, it's not a good uh, recipe. Over a six or eight hour day. So, mm. yeah, well, that is a bit surprising for me to hear that. Mm. What about the, the trip to... Uh, going to the daycare centre. Some of them even pick up. Yes, and look, some of uh, some of those that pick up, sometimes those dogs can be in the van for two hours. Mm. They get to the centre and then they're put back in the van for another two hours. Mm. That's a very long time for dogs to be in there. Mm. And, and in some instances, I've heard that the driver or the, the keeper actually doesn't have a very good protocol for loading dogs in and out. Mm. So there's the potential there that somebody else is going to cause harm to your dog. Well, Julie, there are lots of uh, food for thought with all that information. Thank you very much That's for joining pleasure. us, and we'll have you again this year. Thank you. We'll That'll see be you good. soon. I look forward to it. We've got Margaret from Saltash. Welcome, Margaret. Now, you've got a, a question here. Uh, your dog has become scared. Yes, she has. She's just in the last few months, six months, she's just getting scared with noises, and she never, she could go through thunder and lightning and everything, never bothered her. And, um, and just lately, she's just, like I, at the weekend, I went to hit a fly with a fly squatter. And she actually shook all over, like she was freezing cold. She just actually shook and shook because I hit the fly squatter onto the cupboard. And, well, and then I went outside and I was picking up the pooper scooper to pick up some poo. And because I had that in my hand, she just ran away. She just panicked. Well, this sounds like a behavioural one. So we might throw to Julie Tolliday firstly. Julie, any thoughts on what's going on here? Margaret, how old's the dog? Um, about five years old. Okay. She's an American Staffy, oh. and we live at um, Saltash, which is we got the planes flying over all the time. She's yes. used to those. She's used to thunder and lightning, and so I'm just going to ask David. One thing that I have heard mm. is that sometimes their eardrums can go a bit brittle, but the dog's a bit young, isn't it? Sometimes mm. there's a bigger vibration once their eardrums go a bit brittle, but she's only yeah, five. And I- no, unless unless there are um, evidence of ear disease, um, but even that wouldn't really explain the reaction yes. of her. Yes, um, because she it, actually shook. I couldn't. I, yeah. I felt so sorry for her because she was actually just shaking all over. So and, Margaret, oh sorry, I, I was just going to say. So what you want? You want to be able to override that experience with something that's pleasant for her. Probably the simplest thing that I do is. Probably the simplest thing that I do is that I, um, if you get a treat that she really likes, um, and often that's human food like cheese or chicken or something, Mm. 
and practice the exercise where you lift the food to your eye, asking the dog to watch you. And usually we just say the word watch or look. So it's a, it's a really a cue saying to the dog, don't look at the other stuff or don't listen to the other stuff, but look at me. And then there is an, have you got a mobile phone? Can you buy an app that's called Soundproof Puppy? Otherwise, you could just record some sounds. You could record yourself slapping the fly swatter if you liked and put that sound on really, really low, like so low that you can barely hear it. Tie your dog to something so that she's next to you and can't run away and make sure the sound is so low it's not going to distress her and ask her to watch your eye because you've got a piece of chicken or cheese in your hand anyway. Tell her to watch and then give her the treat when she watches you. Gradually start to bring that sound up. Very gradually. It could take days or weeks even. But get the dog used to hearing it again but at a low level with another behaviour that makes her focus on you and she gets a yummy food treat after that. And that could be the beginning of just getting her more confident that you can control it, not her, and that it doesn't hurt so much when she actually hears it. We had a, like, a, got a new kennel for and it was It's a big kennel with a metal roof and we had a liquid amber just next to it and when in autumn when the leaves were coming down, there's, this got has balls on it like seed balls, yes, I know and they were hitting the top of the kennel, and she, and I don't know if that started her off because mm. she she wouldn't even go into the run because she was scared of that. We got the tree cut down, so she doesn't have that problem anymore. But um, so yeah, the, that, the, the two factors about a noise to get her reused to the noise, you're you're going to have the noise at a lower level, or you're going to have the dog a further distance from the noise, so you make it it, it mild with you doing this focusing exercise. Very good. Thanks for the advice, Julie. Now we're going to go to Cara from the Hunter Valley. Now, what's your question for Dr. David Tabrick now, today? Hi, Julie, David, Kelly. Is Daniel there too? Or have I got yes. that wrong? Yes. Yep. No, you got you. Hi. <laughs> now, look, I wanted to compliment you so much and commend you on the excellent advice about avoiding dog parks because you know your own dog. Yes. But all the others are an unknown quantity and there's been many dog attacks, as you know, in dog parks, a lot of them unprovoked. Yes. Um, it's a recipe for disaster. I think, personally, it's far better to encourage other dog socialisation amongst your own family members that have got dogs, you know, your cousins or whatever, or friends, where the dogs can play in your own yard or you can take them to visit at your friend's or relative's yard. And... The other thing I just wanted to say was we had our golden retriever, Bo, who was then 14, on a lead at Valentine. We got him out of the four-wheel drive on a lead. He's gone to the Rainbow Bridge now, but he was typical golden retriever, you know, beautiful, laid-back, lovely boy. Mm. I've had boxer dogs as well, but suddenly a boxer dog came out of the lake where it was swimming with its owner on a kayak and attacked our golden retriever. Until that happened, which is a long time ago now, I never believed in unprovoked dog attacks. Mm. I always thought, oh, something must have happened, somebody must have done something. Do you know what I mean? But it yes. was totally unprovoked. And so, and we weren't in a dog park, of course. But no, I would never take mm. a dog of mine or the dogs that I care for when I'm house-sitting to a dog park. I think that was very excellent advice. Oh, thank oh, you, Cara. Good feedback, Cara. We appreciate the call. And I just have to say that our golden retriever, who was 14 when that attack happened, never recovered from it. Mm. From that day on, he sure gave me the leaves on the tree while whispering, you know. It was horrible. 
Yes, it's but, some, um, it often takes just one incident and it's hard to undo it sometimes. Mm. We're going to go to Jodie from Woodbury now. Jodie, what's your question? Yeah, I have a, I have a Chlorian. Mm-hmm. He's um, about 10 months old and um, he used to talk a little bit, but now all he does is screech. Can you tell me why? Um, he's probably becoming sexually mature. And so, but this goes on for hours. Well, uh, yeah, that's pretty normal. Um, it can be very disturbing, as you yeah. found out. Um, now, I wouldn't necessarily say the answer to that is that you have to rush out and get another one. Oh no, I don't want another no. one because <laughs> you might end up uh, with two screaming with two screaming birds. Yeah, yeah. but um, it's kind of like the stories we talk about with dogs that we need to provide environmental enrichment, and yeah. it's the same thing with birds. And you think about these guys; these like quarians are a, a, a Australian native parrot. They live in flocks and. Um, uh, so they've got plenty of um, kind of different barks and flowers and trees and nuts and things, all sorts of things out in the environment. And yeah. then when we've got them in a small environment like a cage or an aviary, uh, sometimes we've we've stripped that back to the bare, you know, there might be a few toys. So what I usually suggest in these cases is that we actually get uh, a lot of um, native uh, branches and and flowers and so on um, into the into the cage or the aviary, um, and in some cases, particularly with birds that are very agitated, almost to the point where you can't see the bird. Yeah, like you've, you're really going to provide a lot of opportunity for a natural behaviour, natural foraging behaviour. Now, there's one caveat to that is to Probably inspect a few uh, eucalypts and wattles and things are a good uh, tree to access. And if you just need to inspect the bark or whatever it is that you're putting in to make sure that there's, uh, you can't see any parasites, creepy crawlies around on there because yeah. it is possible to spread uh, lice and so on. Although you'd have trouble seeing lice, but um, I think it's a good, a good idea to just make sure that there's nothing too obvious. He's on gum branches at the moment. Excellent. Yeah. And uh, another question I was going to ask you is, I I had him to the vet. I had his wings clipped. Mm-hmm. Now my husband's just opened the cage. He's at the front door here. Yeah. And he climbs up on top. And uh, I had his wings done about oh, about seven months ago. Should I get them done again soon? Because um, I mean I don't really want him hurting himself. Yes. We've got. We've got lace curtains up and everything else like that so he can't fly into the windows or anything. Right. Yep. But he, he's just getting... Oh, you know. <laughs> well, I'm not sure if this is related to the first problem, but um, it's really interesting because when we clip wings... So one of the things, what we want to do is that, um, just make sure that they can't actually fly away Yeah. in case they get out, Okay. Like a lot yeah. of people I know say, oh, well, we've got double doors on the house, so I'll let him fly around. I don't want to have to clip his wings. Um, but what we can do is if their wings are clipped, yeah. what, what that means is that we're removing a section of, of the primary flight feathers that provides lift, okay? So yeah. there's a particular technique, and the, there's a couple of quick rules about this. Well, the first one is that we do both wings. Yeah, I had both wings done last Excellent. time. Excellent. 
Excellent. Um, probably in the past, people have only clipped one wing, but the problem is that your bird then spirals and can injure itself. Mm. Yeah. So if you do both wings, and they have to make sure that they leave the end feathers on, a couple of the end ones, because they actually provide a bit more of the directional control. Yeah. Um, and then we removed a lot of those primary flight feathers um, back to a point where we're going to minimise the amount of lift, which means that they could fly, but safely and they're not going to fly up and up and up like if they get outside um so otherwise you don't have to clip their wings i mean it's not mandatory and, and if they're inside and you're happy i'd just let him go with it and um maybe once or twice a year depending on how frequently they molt that's kind of the frequency now rod in spears point you're heading off and you want to make sure that your precious pooch is being very well looked after yes that's right so we're looking for suggestions on what to look for mm. in boarding kennels. Is that correct? That's correct, yes. Yeah, it's a, it's a really big, important question. I think the one thing that, and I've gone through the same experience with, um, you know, for my own pets and looking at boarding kennels. Um, um, a lot of people I know who have, uh, you know, questions and doubts about this are actually turning to house sitters and pet sitters. And yes. I think you, even if you go down that path, you basically go have to ask the same questions, which is people's experiences and, uh, you know, the level of exercise and engagement and so on. So there's pros and cons each way. But my number one suggestion is that you go and have a look at the place, okay? Yep. So when I go and look at a boarding kennel, and obviously from... 30 years uh, being a vet, um, I'm going to see things a little bit differently and so on. But a few things I look at is uh, basically the level of cleanliness. That's yep. the number one thing. Because if they're keeping it clean, then you know that general health will be attended to. Um, I might ask about the type of food that the animals are fed. And then the really important thing then is the exercise. If yep. the dogs are just kept locked up and they're not given much uh, opportunity for exercise then that's going to create problems down the track. Um, and also adverse weather events. You know, we've experienced very hot days, very wet days. So asking the questions about what do you do, you know, when the temperature goes over 30? What do you do if it's raining for a week and the dogs can't get outside? So it's really just about asking those questions and exploring and probably have a look around at a couple and then make a decision after that. David, we haven't even looked at our topic yet, and it is mm. one that a lot of people, such as myself until recently, didn't know was an issue. We're talking about grapes. That's right. Yep, we've chatted about this briefly before, but we had a patient in uh, last week in hospital who had actually uh, was poisoned by grapes, had eaten ah. some grapes. You said you'd only seen one or two mm. in, in your whole mm. time as That's... a vet. Is that correct? Yes, and it seems to be more recently, I guess, as I said, over the last 30 years, and it's probably only more frequently noticed in the last 15 to 20, oh, 15 years, I guess. Um, so we just had a patient in recently. Now, the thing, there's a few questions around grape poisoning. Why are some dogs able to eat grapes and others not? And it's not just grapes. It's sultanas, mm. raisins, and because we live in the Hunter Valley, uh, we've got a lot of vineyards. Right. And the dogs go and pop off dogs, there for a quick drink. And... Dogs eat, well, they, what's left at the bottom of the fermenting vats is called the must, right, or must, uh, M-U-S-T, and that's actually the, the residue of the grapes. So I've actually seen dogs uh, before that have eaten that, and they've been fine. Yeah, right. And we know dogs, some dogs eat 
grapes and they're fine. And I've had people say, oh, yeah, I give my dog grapes oh, and they're fine. My son keeps giving gizmo sultanas. I didn't realise it was a bad thing. Mm. So what we do know is this, is that it does occur. Yep. There is toxicity. Yep. Um, as I said, I saw one last week. And what it does is it damages the kidneys. Now, in some dogs, they've actually had to be treated with hemodialysis. Uh, to fix up their kidneys, and in very severe cases, it can lead to death. Wow. So it is something to be very aware of. Now, I'm not advocating that you go and test out your dog. If you've never given your dog grapes before, don't go and do it now because you may actually cause problems. Yeah, yes. But just be aware that it can be a problem. And, uh, you know, I was searching for some information about this, and we've got plenty of references in the veterinary literature, but I was just quickly looking online, and I found a website. Um, which seemed to have a fairly good um, content level on it, but it actually started to talk about, oh, there is no such thing as grape toxicity. Um, there's oh. no such thing as onion toxicity, and I can guarantee you I've seen plenty yeah. of onion yeah. poisoning, uh, damaging red blood cells. So just uh, when you're looking for information online, check with your veterinarian. Find a reliable source that you know comes from evidence, not just opinion, and... Uh, follow up, as I said, with your family veterinarian. They'll be ask, asking about, um, you know, what what sort of food you might feed because we do need to be aware of these things. And grapes, as we know, it always comes around. It's seasonal as well. And people uh, just need to be aware that some of these things can be toxic to some dog and not to others. Yeah, definitely. So, so just one quick question. <laughs> if your dog's already eaten a lot of sultanas and they're okay, you should still stop. Well, I think you should. If, yeah. Yeah, yep. it would be it would be because neg- it can still happen. It would be neg- neglectful of me to say, "Oh no, just keep going." They'll because be fine. we just don't know. The thing is we don't know what the toxic dose is. Yeah. And it's right. not it's not a pesticide on the skin because we know it happens with um peeled grapes as well, and obviously it happens with um raisins and sultanas. Yeah. So uh, just, really interesting, yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, we're going to go now to Lynn from East Gresford. Now, you've got a positive experience about a boarding kennel? Definitely. Back in the 90s, um, we were living up at the Whit Sundays and we boarded our dog in at Bowen for six um, and we were away for six weeks. Mm. Now, Scamp, he was very notorious for running around the car and barking at um, motorbikes. This is why this is why we were travelling, because yeah. we had a camper van and he'd be back and forth, backwards and forwards. Anyway, after that being at the boarding, um, being boarded the boarding away, yep. um, we found a different dog. He was quiet. And he was well behaved. Well, there you go. Maybe they did some training with him when he was there. He'd gone away to deportment and manners school. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Uh, Little scam. I believe it. Isn't that good? We used to try everything and we used to rouse on him and all that sort of thing, but to no avail. And then we came back and... That was the first sign he was as quiet as ever and very contented travelling. Well, and then after that, 
He was a pleasure. Well, oh, that good is good to hear, isn't good it? Old scamp. Now, look, we're just about out of time for calls, and I haven't even done pet of the week. Oh my goodness, uh, I should do that right up, now. Yes, up, I know. I need to catch up. I'm back, and I'm a bit behind the eight ball. Head to two nurfm.com to look at our pet of the week. But I can assure you, he is beautiful. <laughs> His name's Oliver, and he's a six-month-old mastiff. Um, he, he's a cross, so he's going to be a big boy. I'd say. Do you mm. think? Yeah. Look at his head. Oh, his head. He's, big, big head. he's gorgeous. He's got a patch over one eye. Um, now, look, he's survived the parvovirus as well. So he's had a bit of a rough trot, but he's healthy mm. now. He's a loving puppy. Um, of course, like any new puppy that you get, he's going to need some ongoing training. Uh, but he lives with a cat, another dog, and small children. He plays very well with all of them. So if you're interested, please head to our website for more details. Oh, he's beautiful. He's gorgeous. I just want to adopt them all. But look, that is all we have time for today. Uh, David, Daniel, Julie, thank you all for coming Thanks, in. Charlie. It's been fantastic. Thank you. Great Thanks, show. Charlie. Thank you. And thank you for all the calls. We love it. Pet Chat back same time next week. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.